You're listening to GlendaleCC.org and to the Glendale Christian KY Podcast on Apple Podcasts. We hope that this message encourages you in your walk to love and follow Jesus. Thank you for listening. Today we're finishing up our series called All Things New. And over the past few weeks, we've been talking about this idea of restoration, that that, that is our great hope, that the promise that Jesus said to, to all of us, that I am making all things new. That's our hope for, for this life and for the future, that this idea that Jesus announces that the kingdom of God is coming and it's coming at the renewal of all things. And that's such a great hope and, and it fuels our desire for the return of Jesus to know that one day that all that we've lost, all the struggles that we've endured, all the things that for whatever reason just seem to have not uh, filled us, that all, one day all of that will be gone and all things will be made new. And I'll tell you, for, I for one can't wait for that day. And I wish more people were excited about that day, but what we often find is that people aren't really excited about that. People really don't even give it much thought. And I think maybe one of the reasons why is because one of the things that I think people often wonder about is when they get to heaven, what will we actually do? I mean, what, what is life in heaven going to be like? What are we, we going to do? Of course, we're, you know, we're going we're gonna to meet Jesus, and that's going to be great. It's going to be far greater than I could ever describe. But, but after that, like we've got all of eternity. So then, then what? What are we going to do? I think a large por- uh, portion of our population think, as even in the Christian world, think that we're just going to like hold hands and sit around a campfire and sing Kumbaya. And I, I think that's the image that a lot of people think about when they think about heaven. And that's unfortunate because... That doesn't really excite that many people. In fact, I, I've watched most of you all participate in worship at some form or another, and, and you're singing, and some of you all don't like to sing now. So I can't imagine that when you get to heaven, you're going to want to sing anymore. And that's unfortunate because that's what people think, and that doesn't really feel us, that doesn't excite us. But I think for some, and for some of you, this might come as a surprise. But I think when evil is vanquished, when the return of Jesus has come, when the, when the kingdom has begun, it'll be time to celebrate. And it'll be a party. And I have no doubt that this wedding feast that takes place that is, ta- that is talked about in Scripture, it will be a celebration that carries on for weeks, for months, maybe even years. Who knows? We've got all of eternity to, to figure it out. And there will be stories that need to be told and reunions that need to be had. But then what? What happens after that? What happens after you've told all the stories that you know? And what happens after you've made all the reunions? You've got all of eternity, so, so then what? I think this is as far as most people ever give it any thought. And if we do talk about the joy uh, of the coming kingdom, we talk about the feast, and, and that's about it. It's as if our imagination seems to just end right there. It's kind of like newlyweds when they're coming back from their honeymoon. They've had their wedding, they've had their honeymoon, and now they're on the way back home, and it's like, okay, all the excitement's gone. Now, now what do we do for the rest of our lives together? There, there's an aspect, this aspect of our, of our eternal future is rarely talked about, and then if it's talked about, it's talked about with some, some emptiness and some vagueness, and it just really doesn't lead to much excitement. The song that Jeff sang just a minute ago was interesting because I had planned to talk about this, and and I'll tell you that I like that song a lot, but I don't like it for funerals. The song is often played at funerals. That's where we often hear the song is at, is at funerals. 
And, and the message of the song is, is this, that your, your work on earth is done and so you can go rest on a mountainside. And that's the emphasis of the song. And, and, and that's okay, but when we think about eternal living, life in eternity, in heaven, in the kingdom of God, with Jesus, is that really the best we can come up with? Go rest on a mountainside? I mean, I mean, think about it. No wonder it's, it's, it's no wonder that people don't get more excited about heaven. It's no wonder that people think that life on earth is more exciting than life in heaven because that's what we think about heaven is we think we're going to go rest. And no wonder life seems more exciting. And if you don't think that people think life is more exciting here on earth than it is in heaven, ask yourself this question. How many people do you know that are fantasizing about heaven? How many people do you know that fantasize about heaven? Not very many. And I'll be the first to admit that, that the song, that, that Go Rest High on the Mountain, it, it's, it's comforting. It, it has a very comforting and religious appeal to it. But if you knew you were going to wake one morning and all things would be made new, including you, then what great adventures might unfold? What great task would be in front of you? I don't want to rest on a mountain. There's, there's more to be seen and more to be done than we could ever imagine on this side of heaven, on the other side of heaven. I don't want to just rest. I want to live. And, and I'm going to get the chance to live eternally. That excites me. That, the, the idea of that blows me away. You will wake one morning and all things will be made new, including you. What are you... What are you going to do then? How many of you have seen the movie The Lion King? All right, most of us in the room. All right, very good. So I love the movie The Lion King. It's such a great movie. And in the opening scene of the movie, the, the sun is rising on the African savanna and the birds are flying and all of God's fantastic creatures are assembled to honor their new prince. It's, it's really it's a scene borrowed straight from the book of Genesis, the morning of creation when angels sing for joy and and everything gathers around to see what God is about to create. And the soundtrack to that song, to that movie, and that scene in The Lion King, it announces the moment of birth and how each one of us steps into, as the lyrics say, into a blinking and dazzling world filled with more than can possibly be seen and possibly be done. That's what's awaiting us on the other side. More to be seen and more to be done than can ever be imagined. In fact, I think that's the song that we ought to sing at funerals because, because then we understand that, no, our loved ones aren't really, they're, they're dead in the sense that they are not breathing, living here on this planet anymore, but they're not dead in the sense that when all things are made new, they're going to be right there beside us. There's going to be more to anticipate and, and enjoy in eternity than we could ever imagine on this side of heaven. On this side of heaven, we are limited in our experiences by time and money and physical limitations. But in the next life, none of those limitations will be there. So why wouldn't we look forward to, to a life well lived in eternity? Here's what the Apostle Paul writes in Romans 8. He says, that's why I don't think there's any comparison between the present hard times and the coming good times. The created world itself can hardly wait for what's coming next. Everything in creation is being more or less held back. God reigns it in until both creation and all the creatures are ready and can be released at the same moment into the glorious times ahead. Meanwhile, 
the joyful anticipation deepens. Did you catch what he said here? As, as we wait in anticipation for, for all things to be made new, we should be joyfully anticipating that, that renewal. When I was growing up, my, my grandfather, my dad's dad, he, he loved to take me fishing. and In fact, he loved to take all the grandkids fishing. And I'll be honest with you, I wasn't a really good fisherman. And it wasn't one of the things that I really enjoyed doing all that much. But I loved going fishing with my grandpa. Because my grandpa was... He was, he was very old-school nature, um, kind of rough around the edges. He used some colorful phrases and some language at times. And when he, when he died, he had some very unique phrases. And one of them was, skip the keyhole. And we all kind of, all the grandkids just decided that was Grandpa's way of saying, go kick rocks. Um, but that was, he had several of those. And, and I, I tried to look some of them up after he died so that I could share them at his funeral. And there were only like two of his phrases that I could actually share with people because of what they meant. So that would give you kind of an idea of what kind of... If you've ever seen the movie Grumpy Old Men, uh, Walter Matthau in that movie, that we, my grandfather would have been perfect for that role. That was him. He, he was a grumpy old man. But he loved to take his grandkids fishing, and, and it, he loved to take us by ourselves fishing and that was kind of his way of saying I love you I, I want to spend time with you it was his way of showing some affection to us and but the thing I enjoyed the most about going fishing with him is where we would go we had this pond on the backside of one of our one of our farms that you could only get to by a four-wheeler my grandfather had a bulldozer and he that was kind of his hobby was he would just bulldoze anything in sight and so he would take the bulldozer back to the farm to the backside of the farm and he'd create trails and he dug out a pond and filled it and, and stocked it. And, and that was just his thing. And so we would, we would get to this pond. The only way to get there was by a four-wheeler or an ATV. And so you'd go, we'd go back into the woods. And then all of a sudden, there, you just get to a spot where there was a clearing. Almost kind of like a scene out of a movie where there's this woods. And then you just come out and there's a valley and there's a pond there. And it was just very serene and very peaceful. And we caught all kinds of turtles and catfish in that pond. And because he built it with his bulldozer, it leaked. And so uh, we were always dependent upon rain to, to keep it filled. And as I got older, that was, kinda, that was one of the places that became really just a retreat for me. That when I needed to be alone with myself and, and my thoughts, that that's where I would go. That's where I would run to. I would escape to that place. The constant push in Western Christianity is to make, to make it practical. We've been talking about this idea of all things new and this hope that we have. And so, you know, we need to make it practical. And I get that and I understand that. But one of the things that that, that thinking does is it exposes how fixated and how and how, how fixated we are on the present moment. Yeah, we need to embody God's love for the world today, and we need to, to know that the human race isn't well. We know that. Things are falling apart. We need to care for creation and to fight injustice, but we talk about those things so casually. I don't think we understand how demanding and how heartbreaking the, the work that we need to do in this world can actually be. Those who serve on the front lines of, of injustice ministries, they have a tragically high burnout rate. Without a glorious hope for the future, without a hope for a renewal of all things, you'll just be crushed by the pain of the world. C.S. Lewis said it this way. He said, you will find that Christians who do the most for the present world were precisely those who thought most of the next. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they have become so ineffective in this. 
You get what he's saying there? He said those who have done the most good for the present world are those who anticipate life in the next. And when we, when we fail to anticipate life in the next, then we stop doing good in the present. If you really want to make a difference in the world, the best thing you can do is exactly what scriptures command us to do. To grab onto that promised renewal with both hands and make it the anchor for our soul. We've read this passage a couple times in the series Hebrews 6. But the writer of Hebrews says, We who have run for our very lives to God have every reason to grab the promised hope with both hands and never let it go. It's an unbreakable spiritual lifeline reaching past all appearances right to the very presence of God. If you woke up each morning and your heart leapt with hope, knowing that the renewal of all things was, was just around the corner, that it might even happen today. If you knew that in every fiber of your being that nothing is lost, that everything will be restored to you, and, and then some, you know what would happen? Your, your view on how you saw that day would be different. You would view today differently if you knew that the renewal of all things might happen today, if you believed that. If, if you knew that everything was going to be restored, you, you'd be armored against discouragement and despair. If your heart's imagination were filled with rich expectations of all the goodness that is coming to you, your confidence would be contagious. You would be unstoppable, revolutionary even. Friends, don't let anyone or anything cheat you out of this hope. It is your spiritual lifeline. Do not let anything diminish the beauty and the power and the significance of this hope above all hopes. Jesus lived the way that he did in this world because, and for this world because he, he was fixated on the life in the next world. Because his hope was set beyond this world. That's the secret to his life. You can read in Hebrews 12 too, the writer says, says this about Jesus. Study how he did it. Because he never lost sight of where he was headed. That exhilarating finish in and with God. And because of that, he could put up with anything along the way. The cross, shame, whatever. And now he's there in a place of honor right alongside God. We need to make this practical. We need to take this hope so seriously that we would sell everything in, in, in that we own to go and buy the field. We must take this so real and so tangible that over time our souls are truly anchored to that hope. Of all the things that we could do, that would be the most practical. But we like more tangible practicalities, don't we? We like, hey, give me a list of three things that I can do, right? So here's a good beginning. Ask yourself, what are the first three things that you plan to do when you enter into the kingdom of heaven? What are the first three things that you plan to do? Seriously. I mean, what, what are they? What do, you, what do you plan to do at the renewal of all things? You should begin making a list and, and allow yourself to dream and to dream big for this simple reason. If, if that's not something that you're making plans for, then your hope isn't really set there. We, we don't take any vacations, right, without making a plan for it, do we? You, you're going to take a vacation, you, you have a plan. If you're going to accomplish something at work, you have a plan. Anything that you're hoping for, you make a plan for. So why not make a plan for what we're going to do when we enter into the kingdom of heaven? What are the first three things that you want to do? What are the first three places that you want to visit? Is, is there some special spot from your childhood that you would like to go back to? Maybe, maybe you know, you grew up in a house with a tin roof and you want to go back to the sound of, of rain hitting a tin roof as you fell asleep at night. Maybe it's the smell of cinnamon rolls coming fresh out of the oven on Christmas morning that you want to go back to. And remember this, it's the child's heart in you that is much more ready to embrace the kingdom of God. 
And this isn't wishful thinking. This isn't, you know, some enchanted fairy tale and, and everybody's, oh, well, that's really nice. No, 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 no. It's, it's, it's much greater than that. Listen to me on this. You, either you believe the kingdom is coming or you don't. You either believe it or you don't. There, there's really not any in between. If you do believe, and hopefully you do, Hopefully by now you understand that the kingdom means restoration. It means that, that all things are being made new. That's what Jesus meant when he said, I am making everything new. And given all the unbelief in our post-postmodern culture, you're going to have to make very conscious and deliberate decisions to take hold of this hope. Not an allowance for it, that, that the renewal of all things might be true. That's not taking hold or, or even acceptance. That, you know, that I think this could be, I'm, I'm willing to, to agree that it could happen. That, that's not taking hold either. We need to grab this hope as if we were riding behind somebody on, on a wild motorcycle ride. That's the kind of way we need to, to seize this hope. In fact, I think the word seize would be better. We need to seize the hope. So it might help you to ask yourself like we did in the very first week. How is my hope these days? How is my hope these days? Where is my hope these days to shepherd your hope for the first for the treasure that it is you need to be aware of what you're currently doing with your hope now so have you attached your hope to precious uh, hopes to casual things have, have you given that to just about anything another way to to begin to seize this hope with, with a good firm grip is to ask yourself what have i done with my kingdom heart remember we have said all through this series that you were made with a kingdom heart that maybe the greatest thing that you could know about yourself is that you were made with a kingdom heart. So ask yourself, what, what am I doing with my kingdom heart? Where am I currently taking it? You have a heart for joy, so where's your joy set right now? You, you have a heart for, for redemption, so where are you taking your heart for redemption? You, you, we ache for restoration. It's what Bobby talked about last week. We ache for restoration for, for ours and those that we love. So where is your hope for restoration at these days? What I'm suggesting is that we need to begin to make conscious and deliberate decisions to give our hearts to the return of Jesus and to the renewal of all things. Every time that you, you find yourself getting anxious about an uncertain hope, and may, maybe just stop and whisper a prayer, Jesus, I, I give my hope to, to your true and certain return and to the renewal of all things. Every time disappointment strikes again, simply pray, Jesus, I, I give my heart to you that I am made for your kingdom and nothing else will do. When you wake in the morning and all your hopes and fears come rushing at you, when you come home from a, from a long day at work and, and all you want to do is medicate, when you, when you hear of someone else's great joy and, and something envious rises up in you, make the conscious decision to give your heart to the return of Christ and to the restoration of all things. And especially when you experience loss. Can we remember that life is just a long series of saying goodbye? We've each suffered losses already, and many of you have suffered far greater than, than anyone ought to. But the, pro but the promise of the renewal of all things is that each of those goodbyes will one day turn into hellos. Friends, it's as simple as this. If you do not give your heart over to the, to the renewal of all things, if you do not give your heart over to the kingdom, you will give your heart to something in this world. You will give your heart to something else in this world. You, you'll, you'll do compulsive things. You'll collect way too many trinkets that you think will fill the gap and fill the void in your life. 
You'll, you'll be tempted into darker things. It's inevitable. If you do not give your heart to the renewal of all things, to the return of Jesus, you will give it to something else. But, but, if you'll begin to choose the kingdom, isn't that what Jesus says? Seek ye first the kingdom of God? If you'll begin to choose the kingdom, if you'll consciously and deliberately give your heart to the renewal of all things, you'll notice the effects immediately. So much pressure will be lifted off of your current hopes and dreams. And when things don't go well, you'll find yourself less angry and less dejected. As your heart and soul become anchored in the renewal of all things, you'll find yourself freer to risk. You'll be, you'll be able to take risk that you would never take before. You'll be freer to love, to love people that you may not have liked before. And you know why? Because God will do everything in His power to make sure that they're not lost. That you don't lose them. You can love beautiful places and cultures even though it looks like they might be vanishing, but they will be restored. For nothing is lost. He renews all things. The renewal of all things is, is the most beautiful, hopeful promise ever made in any story, in any religion, any philosophy, any fairy tale. And the best part is that it's not a fairy tale. It's real, and it's yours, and it's mine. And as you begin to see for yourself, you'll find that hoping in it, it's, it's rather easy. And as you place your hopes in it, you'll become the most grounded person that you know. So as we close, let me ask you again, what are you planning to do when you enter into the kingdom of God? What are the three things that, that you plan to do at the renewal of all things? Let me share with you mine. First, I'm going to jump into the arms of Jesus. I think that's going to be the greatest thing about heaven is that Jesus is going to be there. And so I'm going to jump into the arms of Jesus and we'll, we'll embrace, we'll laugh, and it'll be that laughter that comes from good friends who have been, who have, who have been reunited. It'll be the laughter of victors who have overcome. And after that moment is over, after that embrace is over, then I'm going to go to the wedding feast and I'm going to search for the ones that I have said goodbye to. And though I'm sure I won't have to look very far because in the kindness of our host, I'm sure that he'll have our table seated pretty close together. And instead of saying goodbye, I'm going to say hello. And in that moment, we'll, we'll laugh and we'll, we'll tell stories and we'll, we'll have this great reunion. I'm looking forward to that and I hope you are too. And afterward... After that long and glorious celebration where every story is, is told and every reunion is, is had and rewards are lavishly given, I'm going to find an ATV and I'm going to grab a fishing pole. And I'm going to go fishing. And maybe in my adventure I'll come across a place like the spot I remember as a child. And I'm going to relish in the promise fulfilled that Jesus has made all things new. That excites me. That makes me want to live life well in this life so that I can enjoy life well in the next life. You want to live well in this life? Begin to, to anticipate the next life. Because Jesus' promise is that I am making all things new. Let me pray for us. Father God, we love you. And we look forward to that day where there's a reunion uh, with with us and your Son. Father, we long for that day. That'll be the greatest thing about heaven is that we will be in your presence. Father, we long for a day where there will be a reunion with loved ones who we've said goodbye to over the course of many years. Father, we long for that day where we get to share stories and, and say hello again. And then, Father, 
we long for the day where we'll get to enjoy all the greatness that eternity has to offer us, all the greatness that the kingdom of God has to, to give to us. Father, riches far greater than we could ever imagine, experiences far greater than we could, could ever want in this life. So Father, give, would you instill in our hearts a hope for the next life, a hope for eternity. And Father, may we spread that hope to those who don't know you so that they might have the same hope that we have, a hope that all things will be made new, a restoration. Father, would that excite us? That one day, when, when this world is over, evil is gone, there will be a day where we celebrate with you the restoration of all things and that we'll be made new. And all those that we love who are with you now will be made new as well. Father, we long for that day. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen.